Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. This is episode 46 of season three, and we're going down a whole different path today. We're going to talk a lot today about legal and compliance and really the the buying to exit strategy of your medical spa, what to think about, what to know, what to do. And we have a true expert on today. We have Justin Marti from the Marti Law Group, who himself is also an entrepreneur before he was an attorney. He was a big, stellar 25-year-old who built a 45-location dental practice, sold it for a whole bunch of millions of dollars, and decided to go back to law school, I'm guessing, somewhere along the way there, and become an attorney. And so now he's bringing his expertise to medical spas, to aesthetics, helping you guys buy and sell and do contracts and delegation and GFEs and all the things. So he is here with us today. Justin, welcome to our show. We are so glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We met from our good friend Ben Hernandez at Skytail, who is like Kevin Bacon of Aesthetics, who connects the whole world. And I'm always looking for great, brilliant legal eagles, if you want to call them that, to help us with our clients here. And you have a very compelling story. You're very successful outside of being an attorney. So you're a true business consultant as well. So give our audience a little bit of a flair for who you are and what you do and kind of how you got here. And then we're going to dive into all the good all the good stuff. I um, I. Can uh, I can jump into that a little bit? I, I first have to say, I think it was Eric Pastan who, uh, who it was introduced Eric. us via, you know, Eric via Ben. Um, so Eric was actually one of my old business partners when we had our our dental um, group going. And you do, you make it sound so um, so exciting when we were scaling 45 offices. And, I, I, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting journey. But yeah, I was in Boston, 26, kind of living like the the post-college glory years. Uh, I was in sales working with a lot of physicians and in a patient financing practice and got approached by a dentist, a brother and sister team, actually. And they had a couple locations, and I, you know, wanted to scale this, this model. I knew nothing about dentistry other than my mother had been my hygienist for, you know, 26 years and I never had a cavity, knock on wood. And um, so I jumped in and we opened a practice in Massachusetts. We opened another, we opened another, some other partners joined on as well as Eric. And uh, yeah, 12 years later, 40 some odd locations. And, and along that journey, I decided, you know, I don't have enough going on. I had my son, you know, married son, like, let's go to law school too. You know, why, why not? So threw that on and really had no, um, no thought of practicing law, which is people were like, what are you doing here in law school? But just, I don't know, I'm a nerd, I guess, at the end of the day, like I wanted to keep learning. We had this big organization that I felt like maybe we should get a little more familiar with contracts that we're reading and writing every single day. And so, yeah, so four years came and went part time. And I graduated right around the time we exited the business. So it was like this pivot of cool, you know, great ride, but you know, now what? And so this kind of made sense. Well, that's crazy that you did it while you were also running this organization because I did a PhD, which I didn't need to do, by the way. I already had an MBA. I was running, you know, doing business stuff already. And I thought, you know what? I'll go get one. You know, just do it. And it was <laughs> hell on earth to do that and also be a working professional. So I empathize with you. But the fact you did it is incredible because I think you bring now to the table a great mix of both the legal aspect, but, you know, having done it yourself. I think we hear a lot about private equity and MSOs and buying and selling and strategies and it's like, you know, are you the professor or are you the person who's actually done it? And you've actually done it. So I think it's a different perspective. But, uh, you know, thinking about Erica, our friends at Skytail, you know, we, we talk about this a lot now in the industry. Five years ago, it wasn't even thought about. Like, the word private equity meant nothing five years ago. And now it's on everyone's tongue all the time. Very hot item. So you guys do both business and healthcare law there. How much of your practice is really focused on, you know, sort of that startup to exit strategy concept versus actually in med spas helping them with, building their businesses and like the day-to-day contract law, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say um, our practices is much more heavily weighted on folks kind of getting in or getting out, you know, so the M&A, the mergers and acquisitions piece, 
uh, is very big. And as you mentioned, like, you know, I came from the dental world where the M&A and the transactions, the consolidation has been going on for quite a while now. And MedSpa world is, you know, it's like looking back 10 years almost. Um, so we're getting more and more involved in the MedSpa. Again, kind of following the SkyTail model, right? Like they were heavy in dental. They've seen the pivot and we've kind of pivoted as well. Um, and to this whole new world of, of aesthetics, which is super exciting. Um, and then, yeah, there is that other component of our, of our practice where we're helping folks scale. They're hiring injectors, you know, they're hiring staff and, and adding locations. And there's a lot that goes into that. Of course, navigating all these wonderful regulations from state to state, which are, you know, super consistent. Right. So, um, we try to help a lot of our a lot of our folks with that, and then of course when you know when PE comes calling and, and people want to exit, we're trying to help them through the transition as well. Well, you know, I ask because people who watch our show or listen to our show are oftentimes in that growth phase of their practice where they've started it, they have something you know on the table, but they want to actually grow and develop, and then think about maybe exiting later on. And I always tell them like the day that you start your business, you have to build it for the exit. Like start today with what you're going to be in 10 years or what you're going to be in 15 years. Because if you don't, when that day comes, you'll be penalized tenfold for not having done it right from the beginning. We call it technical debt in, you know, in, in software development, but it's the same thing in a practice. So, and again, guys, this is not legal advice. Justin's here as a guest. He's not here to tell you how to run your business. So Thank you. don't go out and tell the, tell the legal team here that, <laughs> well, Justin said so. But thinking through that model, when you get them ready for an exit strategy, what are the things that you wish or that you have to have in place from that practice that, you know, the checklist of the top 10 things, like, is it delegation agreements? Is it, um, you know, if they have a partnership they've already put in place, like what are the things you have to have that are for you a non-negotiable to take a, you know, take a practice in essence to market and get them sold? It's such a great question. I mean, you really are so spot on with, you got to start with the end in mind and so many people don't, right? Like when we started our dental group, but we weren't, I wasn't thinking about a PE exit when I first, you know, hung a dental shingle. Um, but it's, we had so much kind of, you know, fixing to do at the end and the legal bills were, you know, astronomical because we just had to put so many things in place. And you do, you look to a private equity buyer, they're like, you know, they're a little messy, they're a little sloppy that directly correlates to, to what you're getting paid, right. When you go to sell. Um, so the first thing, if we get engaged early on in kind of the life cycle of a practice, um, I'm so happy because we can kind of iron out any things that are missing, you know, put the agreements in place that might not be there, collaboration, delegation, whatever the state calls for, so that when they do go to exit um, or the MSO, right, the, the management services organization, if you've got some folks involved who might be more of an investor type than a provider, depends on the state, but just putting those pieces together. So when you go to market, you're like a well-oiled machine, you know, and you look structured properly. Um, so, you know, I always try to kind of get a, a roster of who's involved in these practices. You know, what's their role? Are they clinical? Are they non-clinical? Um, if we've got like an MSO structure, we actually create two different entities really within that business. So to the outside world, you know, they're seeing blank med spa. They don't know that there's kind of like this bifurcated business, but the legal nerds, we kind of divide it up and we categorize people under, um, a lot of nerd talk today. We, we kind of divide it up under, you know, the, the type of role that they have. So again, when we can go to, when we can go to sell uh, the business or, you know, we talk to someone like Skytail and they're entertaining different offers for practice, it's very clean. Um, the funds flow, right? Like how people are getting paid. Um, if that money is coming into the entity the right way, or if it's funneling out to, you know, we've got to make sure it's really tight. Um, so it passes all the compliance checks and everything um, when they go to exit and hopefully maximize their their value. Well, I have a question for you that is going to sound like a loaded question. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you that in, in advance. So when someone decides, and I want to talk about MSOs in a second and, and kind of go through that. But when someone comes and says, you know, I want to, I want to do the exit thing. I'm ready. I think I'm in a great place to do it. How important is it in that moment? I think about this all the time, Justin. It haunts me in my sleep that you know, like paying commission on a medical procedure is illegal. We know that in all 50 states, fee splitting is not allowed. Um, productivity bonuses are, things like that are. If I'm paying my entire team commission split on all that they're doing right now, when a PE firm comes in and buys me, 
how likely are they to follow the state law or say, you know what, you've been doing commission all these years. Like, let's just keep breaking the law and doing it. It's fine. Like, I want to know for people who are listening to this or like your consents aren't good. Like your consents don't protect you as a practice. When they come in, they figure out that your consents aren't good. Or they change them or you don't have the right medical director collaboration agreement. Like how involved at that point for practices are like, I'm under the radar doing things on my own, not getting caught. Will they start turning that stuff over and looking under the hood and then saying, wait a minute, this has to stop. We cannot do it this way anymore. So is it better to just get it done right the first time? Like, again, loaded question, but I want to know how much they get involved in the in the minutia of the businesses that they buy, you know, once they kind of get it, you know, get, get in the, the inks dry. Yeah, they, I mean, they turn over every stone, right? Like they, and I get why they're large organizations and they're growing and there's more and more eyes on them and governing bodies are constantly looking for, you know, ways to poke holes in these organizations. So we dealt with it at our dental group. You know, we had a lot of growing air, growing pains that we didn't know we were doing something wrong. Right. So when an audit came along, that's when we learned, um, wish I was an attorney, you know, prior, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to look into everything that's going on and we get so many folks that are a single operator and there's so much misinformation. Um, I was listening to Ernice on your show, right. Who's like fantastic. And she was talking about, there's really no gray area. It's just black and white, but, I think people feel like it's great because they don't understand or they've been told by their friend who has a spa, you know, not far away that they're doing this and it's always worked. Um, so it's super important that we try to get you. It may not be perfect. You know, like you may have some document that was deficient that we might have to get cleaned up. But um, yeah, the PE folks are going to come in and they're going to really look under the hood pretty well to make sure that they're buying legitimate organization. And I mean, all the time you mentioned commission, right? Like all the time we're dealing with, this is how I pay people. Like, it's fine. Everyone does this. And I'm like, listen, I'm not the ethics police, but I just want you to be aware that this is something that you got to, you know, you got to be cognizant of and you need to restructure it. Sometimes it's just the terminology, right? Like at the end of the day, um, if it's a percent versus a flat fee and how you're paying something, you know, you can back into that flat fee, right? Again, this is not legal advice, but there's ways to kind of come up with a number that works, just not a percent. Um, and so that's, you know, that's spot on is that the PE groups and the bigger MS, um, you know, the bigger MedSpog models that are coming in are, are really looking to, you know, not lay out their exposure and they're going to want to tighten things up. Yeah, I can give legal advice. No, I'm kidding. I can't either. But I always say productivity bonuses work. Like it's the same idea. It's just not tying it I always think about like a person to person, like I treated Justin, so I made this. No, I treated a bunch of patients in the course of the month and collectively I was productive for the business and I made X. Like it's all about semantics, right? Like it's not a, a, a quid pro quo of like I did it and I got this kind of thing. But anyway, right. I, I won't belabor on that point. But I think it is important to think about, you know, all these things that you're doing every day as a practice. There are, you know, there are people who, who, just like you out there, who can help us to audit our practices and look at everything before we get to the point that a PE firm comes in and says, wait a minute, Justin, what are you thinking? This this group is not buttoned up. Their stuff's a mess. Like, life is not good. And all of a sudden, that multiplier comes down, and I'm, you know, I'm not happy with my with my end goal or my exit strategy. So right. I think it's like, a, like an SEO audit, right? In marketing, we do SEO audits. We do website audits. It's kind of like the same thing. Audit your paperwork. Audit your documentation. Make sure it's good. But to, to that same idea about nurses and MSOs, I live in Texas, which is a big um, litigious state around nurses. And anyone here can inject, but the laws are actually very, very intense, despite them not sounding that way. So we get a lot of like people getting arrested, losing their license. So there's a big debate here about MSOs and can an RN own a practice or not own a practice? And if she does, where's the medical director? So give us a, kind of a high level. If you guys have already heard this, it's good to hear it again about what is an MSO and why do I need an MSO if I'm if I'm a physician? And even if I am a physician, do I need to have an MSO as well? So give us kind of the MSO high-level thing. Yeah, MSO 101. So um, for folks who don't know, most people probably do, it's a management services organization, right? Or management support organization. We love our acronyms, right? And in, uh, in law and in business. So it, essentially it's, it's, it's a model um, that you can structure your organization so you can have non, you know, licensed providers owning practices, owning medical practices. It, it all stems, I guess, to back up, it all stems from uh, corporate practice of medicine or CPOM as we call it, right? And basically this doctrine that 
came along, you know, years and years ago in different states and, and basically said, you know, if you're not a provider or licensed medical provider, you can't own a practice. Some states still very strict, right? You know, California, there's certain states out there that are very much like we are a CPOM state and we're going to enforce it to the max. Some states are, are actually CPOM states, but they've openly said, we're not going to enforce it. Um, which is always amazes me. Like they're saying it is a regulation, but we don't have time. Um, and then others are, are, you know, not CPOM states and essentially anyone can own a practice. And so you can see how there's already confusion right there. Then you layer on the fact that, okay, like, you know, what is a provider though? Like what's the proper provider? Do I have to be a physician? Like you said, do I have to, you know, can the NP do it? Uh, you've got a big movement from different nursing associations that have really pushed to have independent practice states. So now you've got you know, maybe half the states and counting who are pivoting from, uh, you know, physician only owned practice to now nurse practitioners, sometimes physician assistants can own practices. So there's like all these regulations that get jumbled in there. Um, so certainly if you have you know, a Wall Street backed, right? A private equity backed organization, they're probably going to go with an MSO structure because they're looking across state lines. So even if they're targeting Texas, which may be set up one way, you know, I sit right now up here in Connecticut, um, that might be structured a different way. And, and it is. So, you know, for these PE groups who are just looking to find the best target they can, they might be going across state lines and they're going to say, like, let's just set up our structure this way. And a lot of these states will even do. Uh, what's called a sub MSO, right? Basically like a junior company uh, for the state. And so then they'll operate that way. And all the funds, it's crazy, like how we have all the funds flow up to one entity and what business pays what. Um, it's a whole lot of kind of, you know, whiteboarding things, trying to figure it all out when we first engage a new client with this type of structure. So, so you do, you get providers who are fully licensed and still kind of want to have a, a, an MSO model in place. And then you've got a lot of folks who, you know, it can be a little overwhelming at first. So they're trying to stay far away from the MSO model, but they may not have a choice. You know, it really depends on their license level, if they have one and the state that they're in. Well, I think you can operate as, well, there's a misconception that you can own the practice without an MSO if you're, let's say, an RN, like in Texas. I mean, technically you can't, right? Like you, you think you own it, but at the end of the day, in the eyes of the law, because we had this discussion, a couple had a practice who was going to sell and the and the company came in and said, well, I would love to buy it from you, but you can't even legally own it. So <laughs> what are you selling to me? Like, you can't even own this practice. So immediately I'm cutting your multiplier in half, like not going to work. Because obviously if you didn't follow this law, what other laws are you not following or what other things are not structured correctly they have to correct when I come in? So I think right. that people, that there's a business need. Forget the fact that it's like physicians and nurses and healthcare and, you know, patient safety, blah, blah, blah. We all, we all know all that. We all get all that. I think there's a, a compelling business need if you ever intend to exit your business to make sure that structure is done correctly in the beginning because you can't sell what you don't own. And if you do try to sell it, you might not get enough out of it because you didn't own it correctly legally. So I think that there is a big movement right now. I mean, you know, I'm sure that you would agree this industry is booming, growing like wildfire. Right. And this is going to come up every day, all day. And your friend down the street, Karen, who owns MedSpa, is not your legal advice. You know, she's not your attorney. Don't listen to her. Do your own thing. Do your own research. But are you hearing this where people come in and they, you know, it's like, I can't really own it, but I guess I do own it. Like, how does it even work in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of like business transactions? Yeah, it's, there's times where even we get overwhelmed, right? Or like, you know, we have all our state to state regulations, but they change so quickly. And we're like, you know, I got to go back to the well in this thing and I've got to like, you know, research it. And this, you know, there we were talking before, right? There's changes maybe afoot in New York and like everywhere we're looking, the regulations are constantly evolving, which again is is why I think people feel like it's gray because they're just, they don't understand. And, and we've contacted medical boards directly and had them give us completely opposing answers than what a statute says. Um, and it's like, I don't know, I don't want to say laughable, but I'm just like, how you're the one who are supposed to know and tell us, right? Like, how do we advise a client to make sure they're compliant and work? You know, we don't have liability when you're the governing body and you don't know. So uh, I think like, you know, nobody really seems to have ill will and any of the folks we deal with, right? Whether if they're a nurse, like they're genuinely trying to do something great and, you know, build a business and take care of patients. It's just that there's sometimes ambiguous guidelines that they have to navigate through. And, um, you know, I'm seeing more services now uh, from, 
you know, like medical director services where you can kind of engage an MD. And a lot of these folks have caught on that it's, a, you know, I think the doctors have caught on, hey, this is good, <laughs> a good gig. But even then you have to be careful because if these, um, these MDs who are offering these kind of agreements and collaboration agreements, it, it differs from state to state. Like the language that's in the contract is different from state to state sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's the wild west still. I mean, I love this industry and it's, it's a lot of fun, but also it, there are times where, you know, candidly, like it's intimidating because you have to really know your stuff. Well, I think what you said about the nurses is so important that I, and that's what I think I'm, I hate most here is that they're trying to do nothing wrong. Like they're, they're earnestly trying to run a great business and do good things for the patients and for the community, you know, all the things we want them to do. And because the laws are very great when it comes to like the medical board taking a stance or a stand on something, it's, you never know. It's a toss up. But, you know, you get caught in these traps that you don't even know are set for you because you don't even know the law has changed or whatever's happened. So I think it really goes back to you have to have if I don't care who, what you pay for your marketing person a month, take that money and go get a really good legal advisor. Like it's there's nothing more important as a business owner that you should have in your corner than a, a legal advisor, an attorney a law firm of, of sorts, if you've got multiple people who can help you, whatever that may be for you, you've got to have that because no one cares if your Instagram gets stolen. They care if you have to go to jail or lose your license, you know, right, or, right. or lose lose your family's all your money and your kids can't go to school and you, whatever these things are. But that's what the risk is. It's not about your website SEO not being good enough. It's about you legally can't run your business anymore. And I think we get very confused in this industry because we are at a high growth, you know, high growth area, high growth industry. People get very disillusioned with which thing to focus on. And it's definitely the, the latter. It's definitely the legal side of me, not the, not the other other side. But um, funny story, I called the medical board. I won't say what state it's in. Um, and I asked about having physicians from other states come in and inject for a meeting. And they were like, well, the better choice is to have a non-licensed person inject than a physician who's out of state. Because then I, we don't have to regulate them. Like as long as you get someone who's not licensed at all, like off the street, let them inject a, a patient that's easier for us to say you can do than to say a doctor from Texas can inject in you know Minnesota wherever it is. I was just like my mouth hit the floor. You can't be serious. Like yeah, just a state to state thing is really hard for us. Just get a non licensed person. Right, right. I hope they preface it with this is not legal advice. Otherwise, they probably could have well, some trouble. And they record all those calls. And like, did someone listen to that call and play the tapes back and say, "Oh my God, what did you tell that person?" No, they didn't. I can promise you. But I just think that there is a, you know, there's a lot of things right now that are kind of at risk of us just knowing the rules and knowing the laws. But, you know, from a perspective of what you guys do, we were just discussing before the podcast, you have like a whole SaaS model, a whole membership model for folks who are in all kinds of stages within their, you know, their journey. Give me an idea of how that works. Someone who's going to, you know, hire you guys to be their helper. What does that cost? What do they get? Because I think people think it's really out of reach financially. And yeah. based on what I just saw, yours is definitely not out of reach and a really good investment. Thank you. We, yeah, it's, it's fun. Like we, um, engage certain clients to kind of, you know, take on our membership model. And when I say certain, it's if someone needs a one-off agreement, um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to work together on an ongoing basis. But when I really see, you know, these younger kind of earlier in the life cycle practices, you know, they've just started or they're getting ready to start, or maybe they're a couple years into it, but they're growing. There's really an opportunity for us to kind of work together and they join the membership program with us. So, you know, every month you're getting, there's different levels, kind of like any membership, right? There's kind of the base level, you get this much attorney time, you know, there's the max level, you get unlimited attorney time, you get access to documents. Um, and really it's just, we have our monthly calls with folks. Um, and other people were available kind of as much as they need us. You know, some people want to talk every day. Some people, you know, they're like, I don't need a call this month, but it, we really are. We aim to be like their legal partner and help them grow, you know, and it's it's just super cool to watch them kind of like grow as an entrepreneur, um, you know, see like what they're building, just continue to scale, see happy patients and know that they're also kind of legally compliant. Um, I'll be honest, like I I always kind of, you know, I call myself kind of an advisor first, like a business, you know, entrepreneur first and lawyer second, like. I did my law stuff, right? I passed my tests. I, you know, I'm, I'm here as a licensed attorney and that's great. I'm very fortunate that I've surrounded myself, I think, with much better attorneys around me. You know, I think I have strong attorneys on my team. Um, 
we're definitely not, you know, we're definitely not the type to say we do it all. You know, if you have some very nuanced compliance deal, I'll say, great. Like we have somebody to help you with that. Um, you know, another firm, another lawyer. So we really niched down into what we do well. Um, and part of that, again, is just like the foundational, you know, fundamental business stuff, you know, so you're growing, what should you have in place? You know, what kind of agreements and relationships should you have? Even like, you know, let's, Hey, let's look at this vendor that you're using. Can we negotiate that a little bit? Obviously not aesthetic record, but um, you know, how do we, how do we, um, you know, maximize these relationships as you scale? And so for a lot of people, they love it. You know, we talk every month. Um, we have a lot of crossover actually with like Skytail and some other groups where they're advising people on the finance side and, and you know, and business strategy. And we kind of will spot check it from a legal standpoint. There's been a lot of times, you know, where I've actually sent a client over to them because I feel like, you know, this person's almost outgrown what they need from us. Like we're structured pretty sound. They need the financial, you know, wherewithal to, to just go and just really explode. Um, so, so it's cool. And, and we do try to price it, you know, realizing money's tight and, and no matter how big your organization, right? Like there's, you're paying, like you said, you're, so you're marketing folks and you're paying, you know, your compliance and you're, you're training people. Like it can be a cash eating monster really quickly. So we've tried to price this, um, pretty reasonably, you know, I, I should know off the top of my head and I don't, but I think for, you know, 500 something, right. is kind of our base end. And then for maybe a close to a thousand, you kind of get access to us as much as you want. And we've, you know, we've looked at comp the competitors and we kind of see where they are and we intentionally priced, um, you know, we may not be the lowest, but we've intentionally priced at a spot where I feel like we're a little more approachable and, you know, we want to have a relationship. The last thing I want is somebody be like frustrated with us because they feel like they're not getting the value that that they're paying for. Well, I think you just hedge your bets, right? It's scale. You get lots of lots of folks in there with you, and then eventually they sell, and that's I'm sure a more involved thing. I'm sure that the the, the M and A side's probably not in the membership like day to day part, actually brokering right. the deal, you know, doing that part. But I think you mentioned Ernest Williams, and it made me think about this. You said you're a business advisor first. I think what people forget about engaging an attorney, let's say yourself, is that you get more than just like legal stuff. You get more than like legalese all day long. You're also helping them decide how to run their business. And, and even if it's like what to purchase and how to, you know, if they're going to next location, expand, what medical director they should be, you know, be bringing on because of the contract or whatever they want, you know, want that to look like. Like there's a whole business aspect to this that is invaluable beyond the attorney relationship with you as a legal person that I think is a big, I mean, I charge a lot an hour to do consulting. I would not fit in your membership plan if they called me more than three times a month. So I know that it's a, an incredible deal, by the way. So I, I feel like there's a big benefit there, too, on the business aspect side of it that you get more than just contract reviews. But alternatively, also going to like your local family attorney down the street who knows nothing about healthcare law, nothing about contract law in this industry is also, you know, not only a waste of money in many cases, but could be, you know, adverse for you long term if you don't have a person who's kind of niche down aesthetic. So I think right. there's a big benefit to finding a person, you know, there's not that many of you out there who just do aesthetics type law, you know, this M&A, MSO kind of thing. That's a pretty unique skill set. So, you know, if you guys are looking for attorneys, certainly I have, a, you know, my still endorsement for you is always, you know, definitely there, but it's hard to find. So you got to go with, you know, there's like, I think three or four of you that I know of that do this all the time. So the, the, the pickings are slim, as they say, in Arkansas where I'm from, but you're, yeah, you're I, you don't, you don't I, know that you're, you're I, a northerner. <laughs> I, but I agree. I mean, there's really very few and we, you know, it's intentional that we have just niched down to this area. Um, I don't know the days of the general practitioner. I mean, I know folks who do it and I don't know how, like you stay abreast of all these, you know, everything going on and every, we even, right. Like we just talked about at med spa state to state, how different it can be in aesthetics. And like, even this thing, you know, on top of that is, is more than a full-time job. So, I think really niching down, it was important for us and, and maximizing this area. And there really are, you know, Ernice has been like, you know, a lot, a lot of ways she might not know it, but like a mentor looking at stuff she talks about. And then, you know, some of the other folks that we've, we've discussed before are you know really good at what they do. And I think that's one of the differences at our firm is like, we absolutely want people to come on as clients. We want to make them happy, but we, you know, we also are very quick to say, again, this is, this is something that we have to find a privacy, you know, specific attorney or, you know, you need to defend your license in court. We are not litigators. I wouldn't know where to go in the courtroom. Um, so let's get you to the best person for that. And I think 
that's been a big difference, a goal really of our firm versus others I've worked, you know, we, we've encountered, right? When we ran our dental group, I felt like fantastic lawyers, you know, top Ivy League schools, like really great people. But there was in some instances, like a lack of just common business kind of acumen. And I'm like, now when I talk to providers, it's such a different conversation because I'm like, I've been in your shoes. I mean, I, I have not been an injector, but I've been in your shoes, you know, driving this thing at a at a medical practice. And so I kind of know what you're feeling. And this is what we did. You know? And maybe this was the wrong thing that we did. You know, so let's try this. And um, I don't know, I find kind of a little bit of a tangent here, I guess, but just kind of being a little more open minded and, you know, saying, hey, we can work collectively we can bring in other folks. We can admit when we don't know something is okay, right? We, when I get a call for like someone who's frantic in need of a divorce, I'm like, I'm very sorry to hear that. You know, here's here's a guy, <laughs> you know, or a gal. Um, but it's just not something that I would I would do. So I, I would advise folks, if nothing else, like call you know one of the three or four or five groups who do this. Well, you know, you mentioned getting in in early with these you know with these accounts. I call them accounts with these practices. I think one of the things that I that I have found compelling about Ernice, about you, and, and others as well, is that you come to it from a an idea of let's fix the problem before it occurs, not scare people to death, and so they're like panicking that they're gonna you know go to jail, lose their license, all these things are gonna happen that are bad. Because I think that we can we can curtail a lot of the bad things in the beginning if we just do things right, you know, get things set up correctly, all that kind of stuff. But you know, to that point, you do a lot of content development. I've seen blogs from you nonstop lately. You got lots of things on LinkedIn. You're constantly building content and putting things out there. You know, from like a business running person standpoint, not an attorney, like in this industry that's constantly moving and constantly growing. Like, how do you, you know, kind of carve out your niche and like decide what things are important to your firm? And like when you talk to an account, again, guys, to practice. You know, is it delegation agreements? Is it buy and sell agreements? Like. There's a million things you could be doing right now, Justin. How do you focus on what things you want to go to market as? I think as a practice, it's the same kind of decision of like, I can do all kinds of things. Which thing matters to me? And you mentioned niching down. You mentioned where you're going to price your business to compete. Like you're saying the things that make my heart warm and fuzzy. Tell me what your thought process is on that. Because we can use that to kind of, you know, back into now my sex practice. How do I do the same thing for myself here? So give us your ideas. So, well, it was interesting. I had a conversation with somebody once uh, who was, said, uh, you know, start blogging, start talking about these things, um, you know, because there's not enough content out there. That person, of course, was you. Um, you might not recall that, but, but I, uh, you know, I made a big note right there. So, and you're right. As I poked around for information, I'm like, there is. It's an overwhelming amount of information that people need to know. We're never going to get through it all, right, in one, I don't know, lifetime probably. But uh, I think starting with the fundamentals, like I mentioned before, um, even the business fundamentals, like, okay, I'm setting up this aesthetics practice. What does that mean? Like, do I need to hire people? Do I need, you know, okay, I need to hire people. I need injectors, right? So what do I need to legally, you know, be compliant and have an injector working for me? And well, if I'm a physician, you know, I can get a delegation agreement, probably I can do that. And just kind of like working up from the bottom. And, and I think, once you have a lot of that in place, now it's easier to start kind of adding on and layering on, right? And, and you know, for our law firm, right? I'm working on the content creation, which I hate right now. I think I need JT on, on my team because I, you know, I, I look at it and I cringe, but it's like, this is an area we've got to constantly improve upon. Um, but before I do that, it's like, let's check the latest regulations. Let's check, you know, what legislative acts are coming that we need to keep an eye on because that's at the core of what we do. Um, and you're so right. Like it really can be very easy to get lost in the weeds. Um, when, when someone comes to us, I mean, we kind of have our little internal checklist to see what's in place that they have, what, you know, what looks a little fishy, you know, does this provider is not really there, but you know, there's kind of an agreement that says they're supposed to be. So we'll do a lot of poking holes. Um, and the last thing I am again is, is, uh, is, the ethics police. And I really genuinely believe people are meaning to do things right. They just don't know. So um, we'll kind of start at the ground floor and try to analyze, all right, where, where are you, where's the most exposure? You know, I'm not going to tell them you're going to go to jail for doing this. I'll tell them like, yeah, there's liability here, you know, and we don't, we want to protect you. So let's start with that. Um, cool. We patched that hole. Like, let's look at the next thing. Um, you know what, let's bring in these guys here, you know, let's get some financial eyes on this and, and just kind of organically try to keep them going 
you know, build some momentum and go in the right direction. Well, and I think it's always interesting that an attorney will give you real advice. You know, if you go to your, even to your CPA or to your, you know, business coach or whoever else, they kind of sugarcoat things like, well, I mean, what you're doing could be working and keep trying it. You guys are like, it's not working. It's not going to work. Quit doing it. I mean, I think you're very quick to say, at least in my experience with attorneys, we have them obviously here at AR, but you're quick to say that's not going to work. The risk is too great. You can't overcome that. Stop doing it. Like beating your head against the wall is not going to change things. So I, I feel like you, when you have an attorney in your corner, you have like a litmus test. You have the, the button of like, you know, it's the easy button of someone who's going to say to you, stop the madness. It's not going to work. And I think you looking through, you know, all these things from the ground up is really probably how you're doing that. With an, you know, with a customer of yours saying, well, I don't know what you're doing here, but you've got to quit doing it. But, you know, in that same you know kind of vein, let's say I come to you, we've, we've looked at my business, we've changed it, we've grown it, we're good to go. And then I decide I want to exit. And so I come and drop that bomb in your lap in our, you know, in our meeting in November. Hey, I want to exit. What happens next? And why would I choose that, you know, as a, as a practice to say, I'm putting that flag in the sand. What is the benefit for me if I'm, you know, an entrepreneur who's successful, making lots of money? Why well, do I even want to do that? And if I do do it, like, what does it even look like? So give us now the, you, you did the MSO high level. Give us the M&A high level now. So, yeah, I mean, this is like when they, when they, drop that bomb of the ready to exit, which I get there's hearing about people selling for, you know, millions of dollars. And they're like, okay, it's, it's my turn. It, first thing I do is honestly, it's like, okay, let's have a sit down, you know, or virtual talk. Um, are you ready? Like the literally those three words, you know, are so, so, so important. And I mean, I do talks on this and I do like coaching on this and it's, I could talk legal stuff all day. You know, we could talk business, you know, um, you know, commentary all day. But the very first thing when someone goes to sell is like, really, you need to have a gut check. And and why? Because someone's going to buy your organization and you might now become an employee. Right. And you, you know, Mr. Ms. You know, person entrepreneur are now, you know, clocking in and clocking out. Right. And I know that sounds a little, a little um, harsh. But really, that's what happens. And I cannot tell you how many deals we've gotten to the finish line. And it really like hits, you know, our client representing the seller. And it just hits them like, well, wait, when do I get, you know, when's payroll come out? And what, you know, and it's just those those things that they haven't done for however many years. Um, and, you know, just not in our entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like the scariest thought to an entrepreneur is like, okay, go get a job. So um, that's the biggest piece is the gut check. So when I have folks like a dentist who's been at it 40 years and they're winding down, it's usually a little bit of an easier pill to swallow. They're like, this is the natural progression. When you have someone who is, you know, in their, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s at their peak of their game, a lot of times they do. Like I have to really sit with them and, and talk. It has nothing to do with law. It's just literally like, you know, person to person. Are you ready for this? Because things will change. You're definitely going to get a nice check. Um, but is that enough to, you know, um, to adjust to this new lifestyle and, and some groups, you know, I don't want to make it like working for corporates terrible, right? Some groups are very, they want the practitioner to continue to be autonomous. So the seller to be, you know, doc, keep doing what you've been doing or, you know, you know, in NP, please like don't change anything. Others come in and, and folks really do feel the change. So I think that's the first piece is like, let's really discuss, like, are you ready? And then, you know, then we kind of get into what does this deal look like? What are the deal terms? Um, no shock people, right? People look right at the bottom line. What's the dollar amount I'm getting? Um, I really don't want to speak poorly about any of the big PE groups. So, you know, I put this out there, but I'm, I'm scared of the pushback. But you have to look beyond like the big carrot that's dangled. Is, is, you know, the key to this, I think, because you're probably gonna have a lot of money thrown in front of you, which is very attractive. Um, when we went to sell our business, I mean, you know, the first number I saw, I was like, oh my, you know, that's, we're, this is the greatest thing ever. Like we're worth that much money. But as you kind of back into it, you're like, okay, this much of it is getting paid up front. This much of it is an earn out, which means, you know, you better keep performing. Otherwise you're not going to see it. 
this portion we're going to take and we're going to issue you equity, which could be very valuable, you know, if the company sells down the road. But there's just like, it starts dwindling down and you're like, oh, by the way, we have to pay off that debt and that. So some folks at the end of it are like, huh, like that's all I'm walking away with, right? Um, so th- there's there's a lot of like dissecting the, the LOI, you know, the letter of intent or whatever comes in to really figure out like, is this the right deal for this individual? And then that's where, you know, some of these advisory groups are great because they'll bring maybe multiple buyers to somebody. But every one of those deals really has to be vetted to see if it makes sense for the individual. Yeah, you got a lot to unpack there. So let me <laughs> let me catch up with you. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think it's great because you mentioned a lot of things there that are compelling for me. So there was a big buyout a group here in sex recently who, you know, a lot of practices came together and now the CEO, whatever. Long story short. I got a call last week or weeks ago and they're like, okay, now we want to do marketing. Like we want to do video promotion. Like you mentioned, you know, we want to do production. We want to have a, a legitimate marketing arm. We want to promote these practices. So they're going to have this insatiable, incredible, wonderful growth because now they can corporately combine things in a GPO and go to market to a group like ours. And say, hey, we want to film and produce and do commercials. What would it cost us versus like mom and pop trying to do it on their own right. times 13, 15, 16, it's not going to work. So I think there are corporately some amazing benefits, hiring legitimate, you know, a CHRO, a CMO, a CGO, a CTO. You can now afford chief officers where you couldn't as Karen, who owns her own practice. You just can't do the cash outlay with, I know you can't, trust me, I have this problem every day here, but you can do so many more things that are professional services related when you have a PE firm come in and say, I will front the money to get this done because I see the long-term payout. So I think right. there's a corporatization that is actually incredibly beneficial, incredibly beneficial. And the employees forget that they can benefit too. Now we have a giant med spa group. I can have different jobs, regional trainer, regional director, you know, practice manager, whatever that may be for me. I can change and grow because I now have a corporate structure. So there's lots of benefits there. But what you mentioned about it no longer being yours, I think is the fun part because I've had so many folks who got to the end and said I had to back out. I realize that it's no longer mine. I have no say in it. The second bite of the apple doesn't taste as good. I don't care what they say. Like, I want to stay in and be my thing. And then even for us here, you know, an experience we had where they offered us an amount that was terrible. It's like, I can make that next year. Like, I made the entire amount they gave me as their multiplier in the next year in revenue. Like, that, I'm not an idiot. Right. And so, you know, this fast, quick, dirty, let's get it on the books. Let's get it done. Here's your LOI. And it's all happening so fast. And you hear the money and you're like, you know, you can't even get your breath. And it's all just coming out in the speed of light. So, I think there is like this big, it's a big sexy, to your point, the number's sexy, the, all the things you're going to get are sexy, and then it's not, or it's the enemy, and like, how dare you go corporate, how dare you sell oh, out yeah. and do that, yeah. like, the the camps are very opposed, but what if you're competing in a community against an M&A kind of, you know, PE group, let's say that I am a small med spa, and your people come in, you know, and they do a deal, and now I'm competing against that person down the street, what is the difference there in like this organically built, you know, kind of de novo model where I have my own thing versus like some big conglomerate. Cause I think that's what people want to know. Can I even compete? And if I can, I'll stay. And if I can't, I'll have to sell because I don't want to die on the vine trying to survive if I'm, you know, never going to make it long winded, long winded question there, Justin. No. And it's also, it's, it's, I mean, it's a tremendous consideration just for business owners in general, right? Like you're trying to run your mom and pop and you know, you have a legacy and people, you know, the diner right next door to my building and, and the same folks have gone there for, you know, probably 30, 40 years. And then there's, you know, massive chains all around and there's people, you know, gravitating towards those. And it's kind of like, well, how do I, how do I hang with the big guys? And, you know, it sounds a little bit cliche probably, but it's, I mean, staying true to someone's core, I feel like is so, so valuable. You know, if you've got a name in your community um, and a reputation and you love your patients you know, they're coming to you, they're giving you the five-star reviews, which are incredibly important. Everybody get those five-star reviews. Um, that's my marketing uh, ad for the day. The, you know, they, you'll, you'll be able to compete. You've, you've done it this far. You'll continue to be able to compete. Um, yes, the MSOs and the PE folks are going to come calling to you next because they can tell you have a strong organization. Um, but, you know, there really is kind of enough to go around. I mean, the, the, it's really like so polarizing, right? I go on LinkedIn or something and I'll see just these like rants of people saying like, if you sell out, you are literally like dead to me. You are the enemy. Um, and I think we saw that in dental and things just changed. Like the word D, you know, a 
DSO is right, a dental service organization. And when DSOs first emerged, they were like the antichrist. Like it was, you know, if you sold to a DSO, you were like should have lost your dental license. Now it's just commonplace. You know, people coming out of school, we we speak at a lot of the dental schools to students graduating, and it's they're all like, I'm talking to a couple of DSOs, I'm talking to a few DSOs. Um and so I don't know if that'll happen in aesthetics or when or whatever, but I think there's a space for everyone. Um, it's just kind of, again, really just st- staying true to the, the core and just continuing to give great service. Again, very cliche, but like that's what I've seen work. Um, you know, when we were building our group, like we were a DSO, but I didn't know that at the time. Right. We had 10 practices, 20 practices, 30 practices. They were all branded different, you know, different names up until probably the last couple of years we rebranded them, but they were all just run like, you know, blank family dental. They were your local dentist. And we were, you know, we were chugging along. Okay. Even as the massive, you know, Aspen dentals and the world and these big groups were emerging around us. Um, So there is hope, I think, you know, but, but those folks should still know that they're going to come calling. So at least be prepared for that, that phone call or that LOI to show up. But I think if people know they can survive, it'll be less polarizing. I think the fear that I can't survive makes me hate it. It makes right. me want to fight out against it. And I think there are many people who have proven who are in heavily competitive markets with a lot of PE money that are proving that you can be an amazing, you know, medical spa, aesthetics, you know, wellness center and do a great job and compete neck and neck. It's just a different kind of model. You know, it's just a different right. setup. And whenever you're tired, go sell because you're obviously able to compete. So go sell and get more money from it. So I think that, you know, there is such a benefit to the industry. As you get money in, we start to consolidate as an industry. We become more professional. We're looking at, you know, reporting and all these things that other companies like corporate America has been doing for 100 years. We don't have people don't have reports in aesthetics. They don't have like a P&L. They don't have because we haven't, haven't had to have that. We're still at such a baby industry. You get some more business influence and you start to really mature and become more sophisticated. And I think we will all benefit from that greatly as we continue to push the envelope about saying you have to have these things in place to be considered. So I think the industry is changing for for the better in so many ways, fundamentally or foundationally, because of the wave of PE, because you have to be able to compete. So you got to button it up. So I'm for one grateful for it. Whether you sell or not, I don't care. The idea of what they're bringing here, I think, is important. But Let's discuss another kind of M&A, because I don't hear about this very often. I do in corporate America every day, but not in aesthetics. What about an incremental investment or a partnership where, you know, you guys see Shark Tank. I'll take a 50% stake for X amount of money. Does that happen very often? Because I never hear about it ever, and it seems like a very logical thing for me to do if I were, you know, in a practice. Yeah, so, I mean, there are – you're very right. Like, we – kind of talk about, I know I talk about a lot of times, it's almost like MSO or no MSO, right? Or, you know, PE group or kind of the little, little person, right? Um, and there's plenty of like flavors in between. I mean, there's, you can just get some private investment from people to go out and grow. You know, you can get, I mean, you get a loan from your cousin, technically that could qualify as like PE, right? It's private money that's coming in. Um, so there's a lot of nuances within even this whole investment scope. We see it a lot more I've seen it a lot more in like the dental space, um, optometry, some of these more, you know, further along industries, I think, just from like a transactional standpoint. Um, But now we're starting to see it in aesthetics as well, like almost people taking a silent role. Right. And so if there's money involved, they're investing may not be fully silent, but they're but they're not really taking control to practice. I mean, I know myself, um, you know, when I talk to clients, you know, uh, the last thing I would want to do if I was going to go purchase something is to just say, you know, I, I know best, you know, and so I'm coming in there with my big dollars um, and and I'm going to kind of dictate to you now how we should do this. Right. Um, and, and again, Ben actually, I think, talked about this on, on your podcast. It's like make as few changes as possible. So I think some of these kind of smaller you know, fractional type of roles that, um, or like cash injections that, that smaller groups will make is great, right? Because there's no fundamental changes going on. We're just going to inject some capital so we can go out and make, even open a new practice or, you know, upgrade our, you know, our EMR or whatever it is. Um, and I think that's a great middle ground for folks who are not ready to just like let go, but do need help getting to that next step, right? Certainly there's traditional bank financing always to, you know, but in today's in today's landscape, maybe we don't love you know rates and and things are kind of getting a little spooky there. So um, yeah, I mean if there's there's access to capital in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of people again who don't have ill will and like want to help you genuinely grow. 
and they may not know the business. They just heard like, Hey, med spa is sexy, right? Like this, this is the new thing. Um, so, so yeah, so there's different kind of flavors in, in between like the two extremes of like, I'm solo or I'm, you know, going corporate. Well, and if you're a person taking a cash in- injection of some sort, I think there's a part of it that you look at who wants to invest in you and say, what benefit do you bring, bring me other than just money? Can you help with my HR, with my, you know, real estate part of my business, my medical, you know, if, let's say you're a physician and I'm a nurse. Is that part of it? You know, are there things that you give me other than just money? Because I can go get money anywhere. I mean, I'm in aesthetics, right? I can go find money somewhere in aesthetics. Can you give me value or bring me something better, more efficient, effective, optimized, whatever it is, because you personally are the one doing it for me. You know, you're the partner that's coming in. I think that's part of, you know, in corporate America, you think about that a lot. Like, who is the partner? What is their expertise? What do they specialize in? What's their portfolio look like of, you know, existing companies? Here it's like, ah, you got a big fat paycheck. We'll take it. Right. We forget to see or to ask what is the benefit to me to work with you versus others? And so I think that there's, you know, when you start getting into those injections, those like microfinancing kind of things, that's a different conversation than saying, I'm going to buy you outright and own, you know, own it all. So just things to think about as you guys, you know, do this or, you know, a second location that has a partner or their location has a partner. So there are things like this, that I think, happen every day. But what if it goes bad? So what if I have a partnership or, you know, even I own a business together and we break up as a group? How much of that do you work with to help? Because that's a big thing right now happening as well as like they're, you know, breaking up. And it's like, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we get help? Because we need, a, you know, almost like a therapist in between to broker the deal for us to take away our pieces and go home into our own corner and cry. So what does that look like for you when they exit involuntarily, if you will? Um, great. This feels like a bar exam question. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, it is like, unfortunately, right? Like a marriage, it's, it's very common that, you know, half the time it may not work out. Um, and so we've got to prepare for that. So our strategy is probably no surprise. Like let's, let's try to plan for the worst case scenarios from the beginning. Right. And it's actually one of the downsides of like, when I always had this view of an attorney. I'm like, they're just so negative. It's like, they're thinking about the worst things. And now I get it. I'm like, oh yeah. Cause we'd like have to, right. We have to, as like an entrepreneur, we're always like, there's so much opportunity. There's so much upside. And then as an attorney, you're kind of like, we got to mitigate all this risk. So my job is try to find this happy medium. Um, and so looking at the downside is, is usually very important when we kick things off. Right. And working through like an operating agreement, um, or shareholders agreement, depending on people's corporate structure. Basically, what does the partnership look like? And we really, we have to go through and have a very candid discussion with, you know, both parties or however many folks are involved and say, okay, let's plan for death, disability. Um, it's just not working out like you talked about, you know, an involuntary dissolution. Somebody does something egregious and like, we've got to move on from them. Um, you know, our goal, again, my goal is not, to have our folks end up in court or clients end up in court, you know, myself end up in court, right? It's really to try and plan ahead so that if and when these things don't work out, which sometimes they don't, um, it's hopefully not as hostile as it, as it often feels, right, for, for people going through it. I mean, it's terrible. People have been through a broke, breakup or a divorce, you know, even, um, you know, very successful organizations can like topple almost because there's just a fallout at the top. So I think really planning, you know, like buy sell agreements you mentioned earlier um, are super important. Something that I didn't even realize like how important it was until like later on in my career, um, and you start to see things falling apart, or you know somebody God forbid passes away, and it's like now their spouse is like my partner technically in this business. You know, there's there's so many um, areas that we want to keep away from. So I think really. Uh, planning for the worst, you know, hoping for the best is, is always a good strategy when we start. Um, this, you know, sometimes it gets ugly at the end. It does like no matter what's, uh, you know, what's in the agreement. That's when I start calling in the, you know, the big guns, the litigators and all that. And I say, okay, here's my client. Be gentle with them. Um, but, you know, we we use our resources when we get there. But uh, but for the most part, you know, again, you see people like really trying to, to make things like, I feel like people are vetting each other a little bit better these days. than I used to see where it was like, they have a great conversation. All right, let's go into business together, you know, back of a napkin deal. Um, and I don't know, maybe that means the attorneys are, are doing their jobs, but hopefully they're, they're working out a lot of that in advance. I think it's a, 
it is an anomaly. No, it's not. This industry is not different than the other industry. It's just it's a different maturity level. We're not old enough yet to have kind of come full circle. But I have really close girlfriends who are an amazing, who are great at business, who did like bartering agreements. You know, I'm going to barter with you for this. You're going to give me this. They didn't put a price tag on it. And now it's like the barterer can say, well, that's worth $5 million. Well, actually, right. it's fifty grand. Like you didn't put a price tag on it. There's no contract in place that says it's worth X. And so I can pick my number, right? I can pick whatever I want to pick. I think it's like the bartering agreements that get people in trouble. Even if it's not the actual business partnership, it's all the things that you're doing as, you know, vendor agreements get you in trouble. And when you give too much, you don't ask for things in return. And it's like having a post up when you're married. It's okay to now say, I don't have it in place now, but I probably should. Let's go to our attorney today and get this done so that if we do have to exit at some point, we are prepared. So I think it's never too late to make the right decision when it comes to like contracts <laughs> and getting things on paper. But I think that you're right. No one comes into it with ill will or wanting to, you know, you don't get married to get divorced. You get married to stay married. But it just sometimes it happens. So protect yourself. And also because it sustains your friendship, too. Right. You know, if you are right. friends when you come into business, if you have it all on paper and it's black and white, when you exit, you can still be friends because it's not personal. It's not emotional. It's like the contract says this. We have to do this. And, you know, we're, we're both bound and tied to it. So it is what it is. Yeah. I just think that there's a, a part of that that is a, it's a safety net for me. I think it makes things much easier to know that something other than us is keeping us aligned and, you know, keeping us in check, not just us personally doing it for each other. So yeah. I'm, I love contracts. I'm all for them. I, and I think, you know, that's where we tell clients, I'm like, listen, we'll, we can be the bad guy. Like, it's okay. You know, or the bad person, like, let us, um, you know, l- let us like go through all these awful scenarios and draft it all. And like, you know, so when it does happen, you guys can be like, I don't, you know, the attorney said we had to do this, but you know, I don't have any ill will. I'd much rather that because, you know, probably we'll spare a friendship um, than we didn't plan because we didn't want to talk about it, you know, and, and yes, it's uncomfortable to talk about these things, but like, let's do it up front and let's go into this like professionals because that way it doesn't work out. You know, let's, we can hopefully dissolve this thing and have a drink afterwards, you know? So that's, I don't know, maybe that's too uh, ideal, ideological. I'm not sure. You know what else is uncomfortable? Bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, it is. It it's is. like, what level of bankrupt, what level of discomfort do you want to live in? Cause I don't want to be bankrupt. And I think right, that that's, right. that is a true reality. I mean, your entire life savings, your nest egg. That's where I think the private equity money coming in is actually such a benefit for people. Cause it's like a safety net of, I built a great thing. I can exit and I can do it in a legal way. That's very much a paperwork driven, you know, there's rules, regulations, there's, you know, fair, tr- all these things are there that protect both of us. And I can walk away knowing that I did it the best way I could because it, I had people like you involved. You know, I had I had advocates like you involved fighting for me and doing the things for me that needed to be done. Where if you're on your own doing it, kind of figuring out your behind, you know, your napkin scenario, you don't have that. You just have to hope that they're a good person across the table from you. So yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think that there's we're in a very interesting impasse as an industry. Do we want to grow up and become sophisticated or do we not and stay like this kind of um disenfranchised or you know non-consolidated kind of plethora of characters i think it's going to become more of the you know the consolidated model i just read an article this morning on linkedin a few physicians um joel cohen jay burns here in dallas they've had this new like group that they're forming called cpp or these physicians are buying practices like a physician kind of fund if you want to call it that Mm -hmm. to, to help physicians be owners of their practices while also being inside of a big gpo so there's some really cool things popping up every day to make it more attractive and lucrative and retain your rights as a practice owner. So you can still be an entrepreneur inside of a bigger group. So I, anyway, my point in saying that is that it's evolving every day as well, just like we are. And so we're seeing some really cool, neat new investment ideas coming up. Better PE firms getting involved, more niched firms who just do aesthetics, who are focusing on this industry, much like what you're doing in the, you know, on the legal side. So I'm positive for the future. I think we've got some great things in the next five years. Yeah, where, I think, where are we going? Tell us where we're going to go as an industry. I think it's exciting. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think you just hit it on the head. Like these, these groups that they're more, it's like more and more eyes are slowly turning, maybe not slowly anymore, but are turning to this industry. I mean, I remember having kind of networking calls with, you know, groups out of PE back, you know, med spa groups out of like Canada a couple of years ago. And they're like, listen, we're going to be you know, without using the word infiltrating, but we're going to be infiltrating the States. Right. And like now I'm seeing it. So, um, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Like the consolidation is going to continue, uh, if not, you know, even, um, you know, exponentially increase. I mean, we were looking at, I was looking at some of the numbers the other day. I mean, they're talking about we're, we're what a $15 billion industry, which is crazy already, but talking about doubling that in 10 years, right? It's like, 
Wall Street's going to find that or is already finding that, right? There's their money is is going to follow it. Um, the the, the um, profit margins are great. The EBITDA margins are overall, you know, really strong. So we're going to continue this trend. Absolutely. And um, like you said, it, it really doesn't have to be, it definitely will scare a lot of people uh, who are new to this kind of, you know, this world, this finance world. Suddenly everyone's, you know, I've, but 10 years ago, I didn't hear a single person use the word EBITDA. Now I feel like every discussion I have with an injector is asking me about their EBITDA. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because you see like corporate America finance now tying into our, into this world. But, um, I don't think, like you said, I don't think it has to be a bad thing. I think there's a lot of benefit that can come from it, a lot of growth. And, um, I think it's okay too, for folks to know, like you can ask, um, some tough questions about your suitors as well. If someone's considering a sale, like it's okay to be like, you know, why, why you guys, you know, why are you the right, you know, fit for me? Um, and I think, uh, it doesn't just have to be a one way, like investigation of your practice, you know, really get to know who, who is looking to buy you or a partner. Um, sometimes they'll say like affiliate with, uh, you know, get, get familiar with that person too, because you want to make sure that, you're, you know, you're you know, going down the right path where you want to be in five years. You're not going to be signing an employment agreement and then just be miserable for a few years after that. Well, yeah, because it's twofold. I'm going to have to work there for a few years after, right, as the, as the entrepreneur, but also because I've raised this baby. And I'm going to give that baby away to someone. And are they good parents? I mean, I think that there is a part of it that's just as a human, you build this thing. It's yours. It has your DNA all over it. And then you're going to give it away to someone else. Like you want to make sure it's in good hands and your patients are in good hands and that the legacy that you built and your community is in good hands. Like there are so many things, implications beyond just the money that I think about every day, even with our business here. Like if we ever sell, will someone take as good of care of it that I, as I would? And if the answer is no, it's not the right fit for us. You know, we find right. somebody different. So I think there's a lot of things in there, emotional things as well as like monetary things. But the EBITDA thing is so funny. I, I hear all the time, this EBITDA thing, what does that mean? Or like, what does this mean a six X? Like, do I, you know, do I need a seven X? Right. If you can get a seven X, you call me, honey. That's what I'll tell you. But <laughs> different conversation entirely. But for the record, you have been a fantastic guest as I knew you would because you're full of so much great information um, and just a wealth of knowledge and, and easy to talk to about all these things, and especially the hard conversations. But tell the audience how to find you for one, how to get a hold of your law firm. Also, if you're going to be speaking anywhere where you'll be, how to find, you know, your blog, your content, because I'm telling you, you're prolific right now. You're writing content all the time. So give us all your deets. I, uh, I wish my kids could hear all that and, and hype me up the way you do every morning. Um, so, well, first of all, thank you so, so, so much because I've learned a ton from you and and, um, and getting familiar with, you know, all the guests you have on and haven't watched, like I've been, you know, really, really binge watching. So thank you. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, Marty Law Group is the law firm and literally spell it out, Marty, uh, Marty Law Group. Uh, com is the website, um, you know, very active on social, trying to get better with our content, like we discussed, but Instagram, um, actually, uh, fun fact is that our Instagram is at underscore Marty Law Group, because, you know, 41 year old me tried to set up the Instagram account and didn't know what I was doing. So we, I broke it apparently, and we had to do a new account. I don't know, you guys could probably help me fix that. But so there's an underscore there on Instagram. Um, and, you know, shoot us an email. Uh, it's my first name at Marty Law Group. And we'd love to, you know, do a free consultation, talk about where you're at in the life cycle of this thing, see what makes sense. Is it, you know, doing an agreement? Is it doing a membership? Um, we really aim to be like truly like a legal partner, something that I kind of wish we had as we were scaling our group. Um, we also rolled out kind of a sister business, I guess, which is uh, we, we do kind of model template documents, because we've realized for a lot of folks, again, it's, it's things add up quickly. Um, and, you know, so these are attorney drafted documents. Now I have to say with those, like you're not getting legal advice, you know, it's, it's a template and it's a lot better than probably what you're going to get on, you know, the legal zooms of the world or whatever, but it's not hiring an attorney. Um, no offense to LegalZoom. It's, it's not hiring an attorney, you know, so we give you instructions on, Hey, here's a delegation agreement. Here's what you need to put into it. But you need to be familiar with the state regulations, which is generally why people say, you know, how much is just hire you? Because this is overwhelming. But we offer that too. It's called My Model Docs. Um, and really, it's just kind of help from a price point stamp standpoint where folks are just like, you know, my budget is so tight right now, but I need to get some agreements in place. We have, you know, your startup kit, right? Like your MedSpa startup package. And 
and it's got a, a few documents in there to really kind of help people get off the ground. So those are kind of the service offerings. And, you know, we absolutely would love to talk to people um, and, and, you know, no strings attached, just kind of get acclimated with where you're at in your life cycle. Can we help you? Again, we're very quick to tell you if we can't help you and um, and try to get you pointed in the right direction. But, you know, we, we love being in this industry. We're like super grateful that we kind of you know, came in the back door and found our way in it because, um, because I continue to learn every day. And I don't know, I'm, like I said, I'm the nerd theme. That's me at heart. So I've got to, uh, I've got to say like, I want to keep learning and this is a great world to do it in. Well, I think you're doing a great job of, of keeping, um, the right attitude, the right sort of aura about you as you're doing it, which I think is really compelling, especially as, you know, again, the tough conversations, even the documents, you should have led with that. Like, hello, people need that. They ask us for consents. I'm like, I'm your EMR. I don't write consents for you. Call your attorney. But right. we can ask every day if we can provide consents and questionnaires and you know, delegation documents and, you know, how many charts should they sign? I'm like, I don't know. Call your medical board. I have no idea. I don't, I'm not right. in your nursing board. So we can ask these questions, too. So and now I'm going to say, go get a consultation and, and deal with Justin's team. They'll help you. Yeah. But no, yeah. You know, Hopefully you'll be here at Aesthetic Next next year to share more knowledge on stage and throughout, hopefully even again in webinars and things with our own customer base because what you have to say I think is really important and very pertinent right now in the industry, especially with all the changes happening. So when will we see you again? Are you going to be on any podiums anytime soon or doing any webinars or where can we tune in and watch? We're kind of, you know, I feel like we're coming into like, um, you know, uh, conference season again soon here. So we're, we're going to be, we have a lot of kind of dental stuff going on and and um, the aesthetics world, we've got, uh, if you're familiar with IECSC, which is in New York City, the International Aesthetics Conference, um, we'll be doing a couple of speaking spots there. You know, aesthetic uh, next is is like number one and circled on my calendar, hopefully. I'm waiting to get an invite. I haven't gotten the mail yet, but I think it might be coming. Um, and so that would be super cool. And and yeah, I mean, we, we love doing webinars. We love discussing this stuff and kicking it around. So, um, so I'm always open to, you know, whatever you suggest, I've really looked at you as a, as a mentor. So I appreciate it. Well, we're going to have you on a webinar for sure, but for sure, Aesthetic Next, invitations in the mail, in the email, All right. in the social DMs, you know, we'll send a carrier <laughs> pigeon, whatever we have to do to get it to you. Right. You're for sure invited, but that's all for us today. I feel like we've gone through the whole world of legal, you know, med spa ownership and the whole thing, but there's so much more to learn. So guys, I'll put this all in the comments for you or on the, in the podcast write up to get a hold of Justin and his team and learn more about what he's doing and how to help your practice. So give him a call, give him an email. I beg of you to go get your house in order if you can before, before you want to go sell, before anything happens, clean it up, get it ready to go, you know, spit shine the whole thing. You'll be, you'll be glad that you did, grateful that you did. So anywho with that, Justin, we're going to sign off and I will see my team next week. And how about you? We'll see you hopefully soon too. All right. Thank you, Tiffany. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.